This is Thank You Heartbreak. Hi, everyone. I'm Chelsea Lee Trescott. As a breakup coach, relationship advice columnist, and the founder of Break Upward, Chelsea is passionate about human beings and their stories. She talks to people about their journeys in love, growth, heartbreak, revelations, and every wound and lesson along the way. This podcast shines a light on heartbreak, showing you that the most crushing experiences are also your greatest opportunity to become meaningful, relatable human beings. Now, let's get to the heart of it. Hi, everyone. This is Chelsea Lee Truscott, breakup coach and podcast host of Thank You Heartbreak. And this is episode 207 with Jennifer Lear. It has been a moment since I have been in front of this mic, and it feels difficult. It feels hard. I don't remember overthinking it like this, but I really am overthinking all of this now. I keep on avoiding this or sitting down and then deleting everything that I think I'm going to share with you guys, but... Basically, I've been missing in action for a few months now. It's the first time that has happened on Thank You Heartbreak. And I've had some massive wake-up calls during that time. You know, things have obviously played out in my world. And I've really been able to soak it all in without commenting on it, right? So what was happening is I was, you know, dating new people and I would come on the podcast, talk to someone, and then bring it up and be analyzing it aloud or giving more life to it, and assuming a lot in stopping the interviews and then not putting anything even out there, I was able to really soak in, without making it into a story yet, what was going on in my life. And I challenged a lot of those assumptions, and you will hear about that in the next episode. The hardest thing for me now is releasing episodes from back in September out into the world now. Like I said, within this pause, my life has played out and it's made me really challenge the way I was doing things before, the way I was thinking, engaging, the questions I was asking before. And so there's a part of me that feels judgmental of the way I was sounding or interacting in these episodes. And I know that in order to move on from this, I just have to put this out there and get back into it. I'm going to start recording at Soho Works with new equipment. It's going to be such an upgrade. So really, I have to release my past. And then quite soon, we will be moving into the now. To all those who listen to Thank You Heartbreak, thank you for your patience and having me back. There's a lot of growing pains going on right now. And I hope that the wake-up calls I've been having really serve this podcast. And I hope you're able to notice that growth. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to my audience. I'm Jennifer Lear. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm the founder of Weconcile, which is an online program to help couples improve their relationships. Um, I'm an author. I do a lot of writing to help people and personal writing also. And that's it. <laughs> what was the early draw in your career to couples? I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. And so relationships were always difficult for me when I was younger. And over the course of living and becoming a therapist, I just started working with a lot of couples because I think it was my edge, my growing edge for a while. And um, I did a lot of training and a lot of learning. And uh, I was working with couples and realizing they needed more help than an hour a week, a lot mm-hmm. of them. and. Um, they didn't always have the resources or the time. And so that's when I started focusing really on creating a program to help couples. And that's when I really started learning about couples. Mm. Yeah. With all you've been learning, does it make you have a certain compassion for your family or did it change the way you responded and looked back on your family dynamics? That's an interesting question. I don't think the dynamics in my family didn't really start changing until after my mother died, which was in 2014. So my siblings and I had very 
I don't know, we were close, but we weren't close. There was a lot of conflict and just interpersonal difficulty. After my mother died, and my father had died years earlier, after my mother died, I think we all realized, oh my God, <laughs> there's nobody but us. We actually have to, do, you know, and, and our relationships are all much, much better now. Wow. Because I feel that sometimes when the matriarch is no longer a part of the family, that the family could have no reason to bond with each other. They can kind of lose each other. But I could also see where if there was tension or conflict because of the parents, that not Mm -hmm. having them around anymore gives you this new lease on a potential relationship. Realization that, you know, there was no parent there anymore so the relationships became about us with each other without any it's we sort of dropped the baggage wow it was yeah. really these like adult relationships now yeah it's different it's changed they've all changed i feel like they've all changed that we've all grown that we're all closer than we used to be and have much more closer trusting relationships such a positive yeah. already the silver <laughs> lining has already been revealed okay so i've been working with couples recently which has been so rewarding, I feel like, rather than just working with a single person, because I see more. The things that we're talking about, is it improving the relationships? I think there's something really rewarding about seeing that and getting to test it. But I have one client in particular that has been really vocal about what's challenging about marriage is that she doesn't know where to go to find real honest feedback. Like, is this normal for her relationship? Right. find that people feel like none of these couples are really being honest with each other about what really goes on. Well, back to the normal. I follow a couple of Facebook groups just to sort of keep a, a finger on the pulse of what's going on out there. And um, oh my God, there's so much relationship trauma out there where people are lying or cheating or ah, just awful. And people don't know what's normal. That's why they're putting out these posts. Is this cheating? My husband said he texted an ex-girlfriend and said, if we were, if we were both single, we'd be together. And um, you know, I wish I could take a shower with you kind of a thing. I mean, so people are asking, is this cheating? Because their gut's telling them it is, but they don't know. I think people really don't talk enough about what's going on in their personal lives for other people really to have a clue and understand what what happens and what's normal. I think that's common. Yeah. And then I guess when when I'm listening to you, what I'm realizing is it's like also what's normal for someone you know, like their level of tolerance is different for everyone. And, you know, you're touching upon the fact that there's this gut intuition, like if something isn't right for you. And I'm wondering like how you help people hone in on, it doesn't matter whether it's okay for other couples. It's whether you feel like you're comfortable with it, you know, getting someone to have power in that sense. It's difficult. Right. Right. Because we are all different and different, different people have different tolerances for different behaviors. So certainly there's a wide variety and there's also similarities and commonalities where people want to feel safe and connected, you know, no matter what, generally. What do you think, or instead of asking you what you think, I'm going to tell you what I heard recently and get your okay. Do you know know who Mark Manson is? I do not. He wrote this book called um, something about like giving a fuck or something like that, but he has a whole blog on couples and relationships. And he interviewed like 1500 people that were in a marriage of like over 15 years that was happy. And he was saying like, what is most important to you? Like what has kept the marriage alive? And he said that the couples that have been divorced all said that communication is the most important thing in a relationship. But he was like, that's what divorced couples said, which kind of makes sense. But people that were actually married said that the most important thing was respect, not communication. What is your take on that? Well, I think the most important thing is feeling connected Mm. and feeling safely emotionally connected. I do think what messes a lot of relationships up is people don't know how to communicate, but underneath the not knowing how to communicate is all kinds of things around connection. And so they don't know how to communicate. They get caught in the communication level. That's like the the layer where the wind, the high winds are, but they can't drop down below that to where what's really going on is we don't know how to connect safely with each other. Mm. So I think it's more that. And then respect is just, again, it's a similar thing. When we start acting out towards our partner, well, we're again up in this craziness instead of in safe, safe connection. 
So I think both of those are more of the symptom level as opposed to what's really, it's really about is we feel safe. Because if you respect, or if you're not respected, you're not going to feel safely connected with that person. No. How do you help people become connected? Because I feel like sometimes it's like an individual limitation. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, it is. initiate connection? Right. Well, okay. So it, that's a massive question, I know, I know. <laughs> but we'll look at it because it also depends on uh, what modality the therapist is working in because there's different ways to do it. Like if you're working as per Stan Tatkin, do you know Stan Tatkin? No. He uh, deals with psychobiology and neurology. So he deals with arousal levels. So what if a couple is both low arousal, meaning they sort of are friends, but they don't get excited about each other. He creates ways to with the body, increase the arousal so they can find some excitement and connect differently. I mean, there's some really major interesting stuff going on. If you're working the Sue Johnson way, which is emotionally focused therapy for couples, you're working more with the vulnerable feelings and how to get them into being able to share their vulnerable feelings. So there's different doorways. It's like a a thing with different doorways and which doorway are you going to use? Which doorway is better for this couple? What story is better for you according to your training? And then some couples might respond slightly better to different ways of doing it. So it's, um, there's a lot of ways to do it. Yeah. What is your favorite? Do you have a preference? Well, I did my most, my majority of couples training, I did in um, emotionally focused therapy for couples. I did some training with Stan Patkin. I'm reading one of his books right now, which is, it's written for therapists. I'm not reading his, um, he has a consumer book out also, Love and War, I think that's called, but his book for therapists is fabulous. And I did some, I haven't done training with Gottman, but I've done a lot of reading of Gottman. Gottman also has great tools and they're more tool oriented. You know, people have different methods, but I tend to work with attachment, getting people to recognize what are your wounds. My, and that isn't strictly Sue Johnson. That's more me. So your wounds would be, I tell a story about this. That's personal. My husband and I, back when we were dating, but we had lived, we were living together at the time. So I had a cat named Hank, and Hank was a wonderful soul. Hank has passed. <laughs> but Hank, Hank um, you know, would, we, we lived in a place that had some coyotes, but not a lot. So I was you know, cautious because yeah. of coyotes. Yeah. So anyway, I was at work seeing clients, and then he, my husband came to pick me up because we were going somewhere. And in the car, I said, did you put Hank in? Because we were going to be gone into the evening. Yeah. He said, no. And I got very upset. And then he got very upset. I got upset because I have huge trauma growing up around animals, not being taken care of and getting hurt uh, because I grew up in a farming community and animals weren't valued. And my dad was, you know, into his own needs. And I saw things that were not cool for a kid to see. So I have trauma around that. My husband, on the other hand, had trauma around crazy people, people who just got volatile over nothing. So he's looking at me like, oh my God, my girlfriend just turned crazy. And I'm looking at him like, oh, he's this horrible person who doesn't understand how important animals are. Hank's my family. So it took a couple weeks of talking it through to get to the point where we understood each other's perspectives and could say, okay, I get why you thought I was crazy. And he could say, okay, I get why this is so upsetting to you. And even though I think Hank could take care of himself, I'm willing to do this for you because I care about you. Mm. So that's an example of wounds. We both had wounds. They hit each other. And it took a while to figure out why were we both so upset? Being able to get to a point of clarity and understanding, there is a part that is required to the ability to keep talking it out. And some people could be like, Oh, we're going to keep talking about Hank. Hank has to stop. But it's a, you said it took a few weeks to understand what was going on. Right. Mm. Yes. Did it feel and like you were nagging at the time? Uh, I think, yeah, I think men tend to feel like women are keep bringing up the same thing over and over. Often it tends to be gender yeah. related a bit, but because women are really verbal. And, <laughs> yeah. And women like to process more than men, I think. That's been my experience. And I don't like going into gender, but there is some gender differences. It also has to do with um, attachment stuff. So if you are someone who you're more avoidant, you're not going to want to engage in the same way of someone who's more, Tatkin calls it, sorry, waves and what's the other one? Oh God, I'm not remembering it. So a wave is someone who keeps coming back. That's the more pursuer 
in, in um, Sue Johnson, it'd be the pursuer and the withdrawer. Uh-huh. Tatkin, it's the wave and the, it's eluding me, but it's not, or more pulled back. The women or the people, it's not always women, it's different, but it often is women. The person who's more pursuing will tend to uh, go after what they want verbally. And the person who's more withdrawing will tend to feel overwhelmed by the pursuer. Mm -hmm. So it's having to work out how do you get to open up the person who's used to sort of going off by himself to regulate. It's about regulating your, your physiology versus the person who needs to be in contact to feel okay. Mm. And that person can be overwhelming. So yeah, it's working that out. Suffocated. So is part of your work though, helping the pursuer pursue less um, it's changing how they pursue. So, see, because when they're pursuing like that heavily, it means they're not regulated themselves. They're trying to find a way to get attached so they feel safe. Yes. So it's helping them both feel change how they find safety so that they move from these less secure attachments into a secure attachment. So I'll give you an, another, another example of a couple I worked with quite a while ago, um, and she was highly um, pursuing. Mm-hmm. And pursuers often get nagging isn't the right word, but their pitch can rise. And um, she was overwhelming her partner who was a huge withdrawer and auto-regulator, meaning he would find his satisfaction getting by himself, uh, doing drugs, whatever, but it wasn't a system where two people were regulating each other. So she was always trying to get him. So as I slowed her down, she Mm. moved out of her anger and into her pain. Yes. And And then he was able to see her pain and have empathy for her. But when all he saw was her anger, he just wanted to get the heck away from her. Mm-hmm. So it had to, do, had to do a lot of work on slowing her down. What was she really feeling under all that you know, whirlwind? And then getting him to say, oh, wow, I, I see that, you know, how hurt you are now. I just saw your anger before and you know, it makes me feel more tender towards you. Mm-hmm. Start opening that up. I feel like there's something about being able to vocalize what you're afraid of that can help. Yes. Yes. So one of the things in, I use in We Can Solve is called attachment fears. I'm afraid I'm not good enough for you. I'm afraid you'll abandon me. I'm afraid you're not good enough. I'm afraid you don't value me. I'm afraid I'm not important to you because those are real vulnerabilities and they're all attached to needs. If it's, I'm afraid you'll abandon me, it's, it's I need you to know you're there for me. So every fear has a need attached to it. So you want to help them identify the fear and the need that they need to help each other with because mm. they actually have to help each other. The therapist is only there for a while. The therapist is a short chapter in their lives. So they have to learn how to be each other's therapist in a sense, each other's regulator, how to hold each other so that they can both feel okay. Wow. Does it ever make sense to you why people just say, I'm going to leave this relationship behind and go try to find something where it's not about working and regulating. And Well, I left my first marriage, so I'm in my second marriage. And my first marriage was way difficult. Um, and I got into it before I was a therapist, so I was, you know, didn't have nearly the tools I have now, and I wasn't as developed. I was growing, and my husband at the time, he resented going to therapy. We went to therapy together. And we did a lot of couples therapy. And at some point, I, you know, years into it, I was like, I've done all this work and you aren't working and I'm done. And I left. I know there are people that say you can save every relationship. I don't think that's true. I think there are relationships where one person's growing and the other person isn't. And if both people are committed to growing, then you can probably save the relationship. I think people can be, uh, just using the word, afraid of growth because they feel like they'll be outgrown. Right. Well, they're afraid of change. And I agree that they could be that, you know, usually if someone's afraid of change, there's a lot of shame underneath. Mm, Why? Something about shame where they don't want to look, they don't want, they're trying to hide whatever it is. They don't want to, shame is a really hard feeling to experience. So if you have a lot of shame, you don't want to experience it, which means you keep yourself more closed off because to open that stuff up is incredibly painful. And that will cause a person to choose not to grow because they'd rather avoid those feelings. That can be a huge problem. Wow. Huh. It isn't always that, but it can definitely be that. Mm. Yeah. 
Right. And like, you know, once it's out there, you can't stuff it back in the box. Once it's out there, man, you're in a whole bunch of feelings that you wish you weren't in and you have to find a way to get through them. And you might not know how, you might not trust that you can get get through them. I mean, yeah. I feel like a lot of the times these days, dating doesn't prepare you for marriage. It doesn't prepare you to stay, right? A lot of people use dating like they bolt all these things. So what can we do to prepare ourselves for marriage? Well, first of all, you have to know, I'm going to pull out this little chart. So it's in my head, (laughs) in front of me. So when you're dating, you're in lust and attraction. You've got dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin racing through your veins, and you are high. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what being in love is, dating. It's excitement. And then when you are in a committed relationship that's safe, you've got oxytocin and vasopressin. So people get married when they're generally, they haven't moved fully into the committed relationship stage. They still have a lot of the excitement stage and in love feelings. And they don't have the tools that it takes to create a relationship. So one of the things to know is you got two people coming into a relationship. None of them have had any education around relationships. They're bringing in by osmosis what they grew up with. That's what they know. And they create this system and they need new information to come in to change the system if they're having problems. I personally think people should all do some counseling before they get married. Just to get into, you know, people get married and they haven't even talked about, well, my dream is to do this. And the other person's like, well, I don't support that. I want to travel. I don't want to spend my money building a a restaurant business. I mean, people sometimes get married without having talked about what they really want out of their lives. Well, not so great. I mean, you can see where that will go. (laughs) So they need to take a workshop, do some counseling, read a book, talk about what's difficult for them. Talk about what their dreams are. Are they on the same page? Do they both want two kids or does one of them want no kids and one of them wants 10 kids? How are they with compromise? Who wants to travel and who wants to stay home? I mean, there's a million things. And that's not even getting into the skills of when I'm upset, what I do is I try to get contact so I feel safe. But when you're upset, what you do is you go off in the garage and um, make things out of wood because you're used to, you can't, you need to get away. And then that leaves me feeling abandoned. And then you feel like I'm chasing you. They don't even get into that level of how a couple regulates themselves. So I would say there's a lot to be done (laughs) right? before a couple gets married. Before you can get a marriage license, there should be coursework we have to do. You can't graduate to marriage. I mean, I think so. I really think so. I mean, to drive a car, you have to do a license. I mean, a marriage is a, is a bit of a commitment, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's so funny because people that I talk to about, you know, having children, they say you have to do a driver's test and all this stuff to get a license, but you can just walk out of a hospital with a baby. There's nothing that you have to prove. Right. So, and your skill set on raising a baby might be dismal. How were you different when you went into your second marriage? How was your dating life with your second husband different than the first time around dating? I don't know. I don't know how it was different in the dating stage because hmm. the dating stage is the stage where you're excited and in love. Uh, you're so funny because I keep on saying that I'm looking for someone that excites me, but maybe that's what everyone's doing. I thought I was different. I guess not. No, <laughs> everybody who dates is looking for excitement and feeling in love and that it's euphoria. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're looking for. And then you're like, oh, I'll marry that person. We'll have this forever. Well, except for then you've got three babies in diapers and screaming and nobody's there to help you. And then you're like, well, this sucks and uh, I need you to help. Well, no, I'm too busy. I'm off doing this. And you know, you hit the real conflicts or I want to go to my parents' house for the holidays. No, I want to go to my parents' house for the holidays. Well, you know, people hit, hit, run into these or no, I want to buy a new car. Well, no, we need new furniture. I mean, all this stuff comes up that people have trouble navigating through. I know. So, (laughs) in a way, I think there's this assumption that everyone that's getting married has had these difficult conversations. They're on the same page. There are so many people that we admire, and they haven't even had these conversations. It blows my mind. Well, they haven't had enough difficult situations because marriage has a lot of limitations. All of a sudden, it's you and this other person, and you are in it together. Until you're married, you're much freer. So when you hit the limitations, it brings up all kinds of things. And there's all kinds of assumptions like, 
One time my husband made uh, dinner plans with a couple and I didn't want to go. And he was furious I didn't want to go. Well, he's an extrovert and I'm an introvert. I had some feelings about one of these people and I didn't want to go. It was a huge conversation and he still never really got it, but he accepted it. I mean, these things come up where in his mind, I should just bite the bullet for him. In my mind, he should never have done an invitation for me without asking me first. So we had these different, and both perspectives had validity for sure, but we had to sort it through and figure out, well, who are we in this? And why, why is this so upsetting for both of us? So yeah, that stuff happens more and more once you're in a marriage and you're like, uh, we really have to work this through. There's no escape. There's, that's a thing. That's what's amazing. Yeah. There's no door to get out of. We're in this. We have to figure this out. I'm blown away about how uh, when you're dating, I I don't know, you can get into an uncomfortable argument or something and just be like, I'm not going to talk to them for a few days. But in a marriage, it's like you have to fall asleep in the same bed with them. I mean, it's unbelievable what it requires. Yeah. It's just a huge commitment and you're there and you've How do you make the changes so that, because you both fall into your default actions. So it's my default action to have this response. It's your default action to have that response. And you don't know how to undo those. You're wired. That stuff's wired into you. So -hmm. how do you rewire so you actually have have space? So it's not just the response, but you're watching yourself have the response going, maybe this isn't the best response. I wonder how I could do this differently. You don't have an answer, but you're at least aware, oh, Something's happening here and I don't want to be so merged with this, which is where you get into, first of all, recognizing the cycle. That would be called the cycle, the pattern a couple gets in and then unpack the cycle. Like, well, it's underneath this and helping people sort of step back and decide that the partner isn't the enemy. The cycle's the enemy. That thing is important. That's huge. Yeah. Huge breakthrough. Yeah. I'm going to try to articulate this. My friend did a pretty good job. I was blown away. We're 33. She's open and to going on dates with 28-year-olds. And in her mind, she feels like there's this window of opportunity. Well, that one, we kind of get cut off at 33. It's our last kind of chance to be with a 28-year-old. And she thinks there's like these pockets where people are secure. She looks at people that are 28. They have a secure attachment style. They're looking for marriage, you know, all this. She says that people that are later in their 30s, 40s, what she's finding is that they're the anxious and avoidant attachers. Well, hopefully I won't insult your friend. Boy, she's in her left brain there and there's no room for magic in that logic. In other words, there may be some truth to the numbers. I personally don't know. I mean, I haven't seen the research. She could be right. However, it doesn't leave any room for magic. Like in other words, maybe you're supposed to meet the perfect person of your dreams at the age of 40. And it's got nothing to do with, well, percentage this and percentage this increase. It's about grace and magic and things clicking into place and synchronicity. It's got nothing to do with numbers. Yeah. For me. No, I mean, that's where I come from much Mm -hmm. more. But the way that she was talking about it, and there's so much fear behind it. And I do think that she's looking for a turnkey relationship at this point. I don't think there is such a thing as a turnkey relationship. Just so you know. (laughs) It doesn't appeal to me. I don't understand it. But I, I see in her is this panic. And someone that's panicking that the clock is going down and that she's going to be this age, she can have kids. Someone that's panicked is going to look for a turnkey relationship and think that all I need to find is someone that just wants to commit. But for me, there's this magic behind. It's not about someone that's just looking to commit. It's about there's magic that has to happen between the partnership being right. Like it clicks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you married Joe Smo down the street, but he was completely uninteresting to you, it wouldn't be a very dynamic marriage. You know, it would be born, you'd be born out of your skull. So I hear what you're saying. She has a lot of fear. Sounds like she wants children. She's afraid she's going to miss the boat. Really common. And some women end up not having children not due to their own choice. It's just the timing doesn't work out. That stuff is bigger than us. We're not in control of that. And she may be able to manipulate her world and find someone and have kids. And then she may find out five years later that she's incredibly unhappy. Yeah. So maybe that'll be her path and she'll get divorced. She'll have her kid and she won't, who knows, maybe she'll get lucky and find the right person. But none of that's in our control. We just do our best and we hope that we get what we desire. Right. She was saying that everything that in her life, she feels like she has control over. I I wish I was this way. She was like, I mean, if you want to make more money, you just make more money. Like, I was like, really? I need to like channel that thought. But she's like, the only (laughs) thing that I can't control is I've realized is relationships. 
what would you say to someone that wants a relationship, but also it's, I don't know if you could be so single-minded in your focus on that. If I was working with that person, I would get them to start looking at their fear. Let's talk about what you're afraid of. Let's talk about this doesn't happen. If you can't control it and you can't make it happen and you may or may have it happen, but if it doesn't, let's look at some of that so you can start feeling some of that. So that's fear isn't driving you quite so strongly. And because it's, I can hear what you're saying. She's very fear driven and she probably really needs to get into the fear, experience it, get through the fear and open up a little bit more to trust. Cause we are not, I mean, believe me, if we could control the universe and the world, the world would be a lot different than it is. You know, there'd be no tragedies. We wouldn't have COVID. All kinds of things would be different. So we have to accept our limitations and she is not accepting her limitations right now in terms of the attachment, you know, she doesn't have really have a, a sense of family. So she talks about how it's been really interesting to me to hear about this and she'd be okay with me talking about it. Growing up and not hearing like, I love you and not having roots in a way to a family. Like you don't go home for Thanksgiving. Right. So I realized there is this different call for someone like that to find a relationship, to have someone that's validating when you don't have family that does that for you. Right. Of course there is. But when it becomes desperate, you're pushing it away. Desperation energetically pushes stuff away. I feel like it has to come across to men. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't mean she won't find someone, but she needs to just take a deep breath and she's not trusting the universe. No, I love that. It's all about her. Like, I have to make this happen. I don't hear any of, how do I open myself up to the grace of the universe and trust that my path is perfect? And I'll do my best. And that's part of like becoming mature. I've become more curious about like, for example, like long distance relationships I've been in my whole life. What was that really preparing me for? I chose that over and over for a certain reason. I'm 33 now. I'm not married and all that stuff. Why did this happen? Why have I gone down this path? I'm curious, really. Well, let me ask you what the advantage for you was in being in a long distance relationship. Yeah, there definitely was one. You probably had a lot more freedom. Well, I think about that a lot because I limited my freedom. I became very isolated in those long distance relationships and Mm. I experienced no freedom, right? Because I was always waiting for the person to come and take me out into the world. Now my life has been all about how do I feel free? I, I ask everyone this question, what does freedom mean to you? For me, freedom means the ability to go out into the world and to stop and go into a place without waiting for someone to be along my side. Because for so many years, for like a decade, I was waiting on relationships. I think what it it enabled me is that one, to be on this path of really learning what independence was and means for me. Right. I think that there was something to be said that there was a lot of shame that I was experiencing about where I was in my life. And if I could be with someone that didn't have the closest look into that on a daily basis, what my life actually looked like, only heard about it, that was the advantage of it. I was in grad school and all this schooling and I didn't understand, like, I wanted to immerse myself in that world, but also have this link to love, thinking that my life was still advancing. Right. And just out of curiosity, in terms of your family dynamics, how does that fit in with picking long distance relationships? Maybe in the sense that my father was always someone that wanted to get up and go and be together and experience the world. And so maybe long distance relationships enabled me to have someone that wasn't always interfering. Um, I think also I looked at it as I would find these people that weren't like my dad in the sense that they were really, it seemed like they were very accepting or maybe they never challenged what was going on in my life. Right. And I think that there's something probably about long distance where there's not the challenge to confront things. Mm -hmm. I think that there's something weird that goes on with people that they feel like they can't own the fact that I'm dating, but I'm not looking for the one right now. Like if there could be a part of us that said, there's a period of my life where I'm dating to learn about myself. Mm -hmm. I'm dating to learn through others then I think that for me, it's like I always had to show that I was all about relationships. And yet the funny thing is I was in long distance, which seems like a complete compromise. I must be so much about love. But I think the reality was I didn't want to be in something committed that was actually taking me down the aisle. Well, maybe you were scared of commitment also. I mean, I'm not saying it was fear, but there could have been an element of that. Also, long distance relationships are exciting. Mm -hmm. It's always new. 
I mean, when you get to see each other, it's this huge reunion. And I mean, it sounds like there's a number of factors for you. I think not everybody's a dater. I think some people are daters and some people just want to go into the next relationship. And I don't think either is wrong because you can learn by dating and you can learn by being in a relationship. So I don't think either of those ways are wrong. I think extroverts tend to be better, more um, dating and introverts tend to be better at getting in a relationship and exploring within the confines of the relationship. Mm. I wouldn't put a bad mark on either of those. It's just really more like you're on your personal journey of learning about who you are. It sounds like a lot of your learning is independence versus interdependence versus dependence. You know, who am I by myself? Who am I with another? Who am I being led by another versus you know, the different ways, who are you in these different ways? And it sounds like a lot of your life is figuring out, well, who am I and what makes me happy and what parts feel good and what parts are old and that I don't want anymore. And there's no rules for all that. You just get to do what you do and keep learning and growing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, breaking the pattern is one thing. It took me so long, even as someone that writes about my life to understand also the fear and all my moves, basically, I realized that part of the long distance thing was that every time I moved, I thought that having a boyfriend when I got somewhere would protect me from having an eating disorder. Is the one time when I first moved for college that the moment I didn't have a boyfriend, I acted on this, you know, seven years of thinking about my weight. And so I thought that relationships protected me from the worst version of myself. Mm -hmm. That wasn't true. But I, for so long, I thought that that's what it would protect me from myself. Well, it certainly took used up some of the slots in your brain that probably, you know, so you didn't have to got you out of some of the, you know, the, the, the brain does with an eating disorder is it really yeah. circles. Over, yes. And so some of those slots got used, which probably did help you a little bit in some ways because right. it diverted some of your energy. Ah, crazy. Well, life. <laughs> what do you think is a good move for someone that's getting out of a relationship and that's pretty heartbroken. What can they do to learn from what they just came out of and to remain open for the future? I think it depends on the person. How are they taking the breakup? First of all, are they able to be alone? Mm-hmm. Are they able to analyze what happened? Why did they break up? What worked? What didn't work? Who contributed what? You know, because you can learn from you know what you've been through, and then are they okay being alone? You know, let themselves grieve. Don't be hard on themselves. Know that there's how many seven plus billion people on the planet, so the chances are pretty high they'll meet someone else. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, I mean, and just take care of yourself. Breakups are really hard because you're losing part of your heart. They're heart things, and so when you're in a breakup or you someone dies or that kind of thing, your heart has to regrow itself without that piece that was part of your life. And that's a big process. That's not like, oh, I'm fine. It's like, no, your heart actually, you lost part of it and you have to regrow it, recreate it so that you're okay without that important thing that you used to have. Mm. When you break up with someone, where does the love go? Right. (laughs) Because after a breakup, it's like this idea of, you know, there was a familiarity, like there was a routine that that relationship allowed for, you know, whether it was long distance with me and they were calling me in the morning or someone right. that's actually in person, you could right. tear together all those things like your life on yeah. a daily basis does look different now. Yeah. Yeah. So the love goes back into remission, so to speak. In other words, you know, it, the, the connection activated this thing and now it's going to, it's going to go back down until it gets activated in a different way with, you know, with another person, with your own projects, with a pet, whatever, a child. You're so right about that, about the project thing, because this is the longest I've been single. I broke up, I think it was like two years ago, and that's exactly when I started the podcast. And it gave to me, I I legitimately think, in a way, it's enabled me to remain single a long time because I have these conversations that I was always looking for out of, especially long distance, because it's all talking. Right. So it's like it replaced that part. Yeah, I always looked for out of love was this intimacy, this sharing, this understanding. Yeah, yeah. It filled some of the need. Yeah. So maybe when you have your next relationship, your need will be different because you filled this part of your life. God, true. Yeah. What will it be? And you may, I mean, you'll still need things, but maybe you won't be quite so hungry. I don't know. Maybe it opens me up to be with someone that's maybe doesn't need to be as, as vocal. I mean, I really respect that, but maybe because there's so much 
vocalizing that goes on in my work, maybe that person doesn't have to just be that. Right. Maybe they'll fulfill other parts more and that part you won't have such an emphasis on with them. Wow. Yeah. For sure, there'll be a shift because you filled something in your life that you didn't have before. Yeah. So who knows? Who knows? Maybe you'll bring, maybe someone will come in that you'll work with. Maybe some, who knows what it will be. It could be anything, but it'll be fun to see. So fun. (laughs) So I coined the word break upward and I'm curious what it might mean to you. To me, I like when you did that with your hands because I could feel the energy of breaking out of restriction and into more possibility. And I think that's what you're talking about. Just because it's a breakup doesn't mean it's bad. You may be breaking out of something and allowing yourself something more to come in. Mm. What is the more that you've got in in your second marriage? My second, and we did some therapy together too, by the way, it wasn't a quick, easy, everything's perfect. It was very, uh, you know, in love, quick, love at first sight kind of thing. But it was also, which was similar. My first husband, it merged really quickly too. But then we hit, you know, the Hank story, there's stuff that came up, but um, he, my husband is, this current husband is very interested in being connected and in growing. And I need someone who wants to be connected I mean, I don't want to be in a marriage with a disconnected marriage. I did that for a while. It was not fun. It was good for me in the sense I got to do my own thing for a number of years and create my own self. But in terms of a relationship, it was dismal. And the other thing is my current husband really, um, he's really there for me. He really wants the best for me. And that's such a nice feeling to know that, you know, he's got my back. Mm. Mm. Hugely. And for me, that's a wonderful thing. I mean, I just think that's, that's what you want. You want to have each other's back because it's, a, it's harsh out there sometimes. And you want to know that no matter what happens, you've got this person who's going to be there for you and help you do what you want to do, accomplish what you want to accomplish. It sounds like what you're saying, though, because when I hear that, I'm like, well, of course. I mean, isn't that what everyone, you would only marry someone if that was there. But I guess the point is that's not the case. Well, obviously, if you're married to someone and they're telling you that, you know, you're worthless. And um, I mean, there's marriages out there that you're like, why did these two, what? what? Yeah. Why did they wow, get married? Wow. Yeah. And there's no sense of it. It's, it's, there's nobody has anyone's back. Every it's, you know, may the most powerful person win. Kind wow. of wow. Which is horrible. Yeah. It sounds like you're someone that doesn't count out relationships that do happen easily. You said that it happened twice for you. So you don't have an opinion against like, you know, some people are like, oh, the things that start out, you know, so connected, they never last. It needs to be- Oh, no, I don't believe that. I think that um, both my relationships started out with very strong attraction. I mean, I know there's, there's um, a theory, and I think it's true for some people where, especially people who are, have been had addiction issues, where they, in order to get rid of the fully, where they've had relationship addiction issues, I would say, there is a theory, especially in the 12-step rooms, that you want a boring person to start with, and then you can build a non-addictive relationship. And that may be true for some people. And plus, you know, arranged marriages, a lot of them work. Those aren't people that were love at first sight. They, you know, they, be, they started as, well, our parents put us together. We have to make this work. But I do know, for me, that at some point, there has to be some, there has to be some you know, gravitas. There has to be something there. Or what are you going to even bother for? I mean, you don't want like limp dishwater for your partner. You want like, (laughs) you know, so I personally think of, yeah, a lot of people start with, you know, really, it isn't, the problem isn't whether you start with hot and heavy or not. The Mm -hmm. problem is developing the tools to keep the relationship going. And you could start limp, lukewarm or hot and heavy and not have the tools or start either way and develop the tools and either way have a successful relationship. It's about having the ability to relate. It is not about how it starts in terms of excitement. Mm, Having the ability to relate. Having the ability to create a safe attachment to co-regulate, meaning when your partner's upset, you know how to help them calm down. When you're upset, your partner knows how to help you calm down. When you're both upset, you know how to calm each other down. You don't end up in two different rooms and don't talk for three days. That happens when you don't know how to co-regulate each other. So the success of a relationship depends on the ability to safely connect emotionally and co-regulate each other does not depend on whether you start it hot and heavy or lukewarm. Mm. Mm. <laughs> what I'm really getting from you is like, this is a lifelong lesson, a lifelong teaching. I mean, it's a journey. Yeah. yeah. 
And it's cool that like you came out with a program, right? Because it's like showing people that they're students forever, you know, and you're acting on that. And that is what we need. If we understood that we don't just enter into something and the work ends, that it's constantly like find the workshop, find the person, read the books, because that's how you're going to stay alive. Right, exactly. We're we're not, we didn't get plopped down on this planet to just sit on our butts. That's not the deal. The deal is we've got things we have to do to survive, and we have huge capacity to grow and learn and change and create our lives, create ourselves, create our relationships, create our careers. Like it's a big creative endeavor. Mm-hmm. We get to develop our qualities. We get to develop patience, persistence, courage, Mm. wisdom, all these things we get to develop in ourselves. It's a huge opportunity to be here. So if you're just going to say, well, you know, I want, just want someone who's easy and it'll be, you're barking up the wrong tree. As far as I'm concerned, you can do that, but why waste your time (laughs) when you have, there's so much opportunity to become more and more and more and more and do more and more and more and more. An expansive relationship. Yeah. And, and a relationship that supports your life. Hmm. Well, you give me a lot to look forward to. (laughs) Again, what I'm hearing is that, you know, we're not these stagnant creatures. You know, we go in and I think that I've done this before. Why would I try that? I'm not that person, but why not try to be that person for a day and see what that does for you? Like you're saying we have these opportunities to grow and, and to experiment with ourselves. Yeah. And to see what makes us happy and to go, okay, I'm stuck in this challenge and it's horrible and I don't know what to do. Okay. So I'll give you an example from my own life. This is not to do with relationships. So I got Lyme disease 11 years ago and I wasn't diagnosed till I had it for um, six years. Wow. So once you've had it that long, it's everywhere. It's very hard. So I'm still doing treatment. Now, it affects my physicality. It affects my energy levels. It has effect. And I was, I'm a hot, I've been highly physical most of my life. So I can't exercise the way I used to. I have to, you know, have days where I don't exercise if I wake up not feeling good, blah, blah, blah. So what that has done for me is I've had to look at all my negativity and go, okay, how do I support myself? And I still fall into feeling sorry for myself. This sucks. Uh, why did this happen to me? You know, all that. But other times I'm able to go, okay, I'm doing really good. I had a really good day. These great things happened. I have this new doctor who I really like. So it's finding, for me, it's been this huge Mm. challenge to learn how to trust the universe while I'm dealing with a major complication, basically. So you, you know, you're holding these different balls and you're going, okay, I don't want to collapse into, you know, just feeling sorry for myself. This this horrible thing happened in my life is ruined. You know, I don't want, that's not who I want to be. I want to be someone that's like, okay, this is, this has to be managed. It takes time and energy. And I still have these other slots available to do these other things and I'm doing them and I'm enjoying my life and it's all okay. Who do I want to be that can deal with this? Yeah. Yeah. Who do I want to be that can deal with this? Who do I want to be despite this? Um, who, how do I be the best self I am with this? With this. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. So anyway, and I'm lucky. A lot of people with Lyme disease, they are in wheelchairs or paralyzed or are dead. You know, I have a real life. I have a full life. And yes, my physicality is somewhat affected, but mostly I'm pretty good. Yeah. It seems like you figured out how to work around it work around it. And I, you know, I do a lot of things for my health. Lots of different, I do lots of things for my health. Wow. Yeah. One, one last thing. I mean, now knowing that, you know, we grow up and I, I don't think that we assume that that's on the horizon for us. If you had known before this ever happened, that Lyme disease was on its way to you, what would you have done differently? I know exactly what I would have done differently. I wish I had known. So during my first divorce, which was 2007, very stressful time. And I was so stressed. Well, first of all, my ex-husband got very attacking, we'll say, very abusive. So I I, I went down to below my high school weight. I mean, my hair fell out. I, I was, you know, it was bad. The trauma affected me. And also I wasn't trusting that I'd be okay. I wasn't trusting the universe would get me through to the next step. And so I had a lot of fear at that point. And I know between the trauma of the divorce and all the fear I had and the stress I was under, my immune system tanked. And if I were doing it again, I would say, 
you're going to be okay. You just have to get through this. I think it's less likely I would have gotten sick. But I didn't know at the time. I just, you know, and I look back and like, I see what I see where I, I see what I would do differently next time. Wow. God, you were just so susceptible. I was really uh, vulnerable and I didn't have enough trust that the universe was going to take care of me. I'm sure you've had to work through potentially like a resentment that you could feel like if my ex-husband hadn't become abusive and so attacking, then maybe I wouldn't have become so susceptible. Yeah, I've, I've written some stuff, not to him, I've written some stuff just to express my anger. And then some forgiveness too, but certainly my anger that he went there, that he went where he went because it was really not okay. And um, yeah, yeah. Well, congrats on your strength and being able to, you know, like you've had this, in a way, a new lease on life, like this new calling. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm uh, yeah, life changes you and you want to have it change you for the better. Life changes you. Mm. Yeah. Where can my audience find you? Um, right now, my personal website is jenniferleermft.com, and that's J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-L-E-H-R-M-F-T, like marriage family therapist.com. Or you can find me on WeConCell.com, W-E-C-O-N-C-I-L-E.com. Or if you go to WeConCell.com slash quiz, I have a free a relationship quality quiz that you can take. It's only 10 questions and you'll get a little feedback on what is the quality of your current relationship and where you need to sort of focus. And then of course, I'm on Facebook and Instagram at WeConCell. Did it become an app? It's not an app yet. Right now, we can sell as a desktop version, education, and it's massive. Um, we are working on turning it into an app. We're not there yet. Hopefully, you know, maybe we'll be six, maybe we're six months away. So yeah. big. Well, yeah. For everything. Ah, oh, I like talking to you. Oh, that was fun. Yeah. yeah. I like talking to you too. <laughs> I'll take all the, the tools yeah. with me and I'll tell my friend to have more grace. <laughs> Good. If this episode resonated with you, it would mean the absolute world if you could pass it on and let other people know about it. How you can support this podcast is really just sharing it, telling people about it. If you know someone that's hurting in their heart, tell them about Thank You Heartbreak. And if you want to be a guest on Thank You Heartbreak, reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at Thank You Heartbreak, or you can email me directly at Chelsea. C-H-E-L-S-E-A at breakupward, B-R-E-A-K-U-P-W-A-R-D.com. And if you're interested in one-on-one coaching sessions, you can visit my website, breakupward.com slash shop, where you can check out directly from my site. It's a super, 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 super simple process. Of course, I will answer any of your questions before you book. And again, you can email me at chelsea at breakupward.com. There's many different coaching options. And I would love to show up for you as you begin to show up in more wise and clarifying and secure ways for yourself. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you.